The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 19 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC19. This is Secret Church 19, Episode 5. Last section of the Old Testament, the prophets. Are we ready? All right. Well, what do we learn about prayer, fasting, the pursuit of God from these mouthpieces of God's voice? Isaiah 6 teaches, about, teaches us about encountering God's presence. The first passage in your study, guys, says it's Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, but it's, it's not. It's actually 40, Isaiah 46, 8 through 11, so sorry for that mix-up. But Isaiah 6, 1 through 4 is where Isaiah has a vision of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's one of the most majestic pictures of God's glory in all scripture. We see the pursuit of God leads to a glorious view of his holiness, how God is without error, without equal. There is no one like him as the creator of the world and the ruler of history, king of the nations, judge of all peoples. Oh, I hate skipping over these texts. They're just a powerful picture of God's judgment and holiness and power. So the pursuit of God leads to a glorious view of his holiness, to a humble view of our sinfulness. Isaiah responds, woe is me, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Which, so the more we pursue God, the more we see his supremacy, the more we will see our sinfulness. Which means that the pursuit of God leads to an overwhelming view of his grace. Powerfully depicted in Isaiah 6, 6 and 7. As God covers over Isaiah's sinfulness with an offering from the altar, the place of sacrifice. Which leads right into the prophetic pronouncements we have all throughout Isaiah about the coming of Christ to atone for our sin. Isaiah 7, 9, 11, 53. The more we pursue God, the more we see his holiness, our sin, his grace. And the pursuit of God in this way leads us to an urgent view of our mission. God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah promptly shouts, here am I, send me. Once you see the holiness of God, your sinfulness, the grace of God, surrender to God is a no-brainer. I'll go wherever, do whatever you want me to do. Thus we see throughout the rest of Isaiah, God's call for his people to be, Isaiah 49, 6, light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So God help us in prayer to see your holiness in greater and greater ways, to see our sinfulness in clearer and clearer ways, to know and receive and enjoy your grace in fuller and fuller ways, and to live on mission with ever-increasing surrender, zeal, and urgency. Amen. Which leads right into Isaiah 56, God's word concerning his temple as a house of prayer. Isaiah 56 tells about how God designed the temple to be a house of prayer for all the peoples. God designed the temple to be a house of prayer to be for all the peoples. There was a court in the temple, court of the Gentiles, specifically set up as a place for the nations to encounter the glory of God. So it's no coincidence in Acts 8, when an Ethiopian eunuch is reading the scriptures, Philip shows up and the Ethiopian eunuch asks Philip to explain what he's reading. The eunuch just so happens to be reading from Isaiah 56. So Philip begins with this passage about how God will bring the nations to worship him, to share the good news of Jesus with a eunuch from Ethiopia. So God indeed, please calls all nations, all the peoples to give you glory for your salvation. Don't forget this passage. We're going to come back to it later in the Gospels. Isaiah 58 addresses false and true fasting. False fasting, this passage from Isaiah 58, speaks about how God's people were fasting and wondering why God wasn't blessing them. Listen to what God says about midway through the pa passage. He says, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. Oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth? 
sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? So just because you fast doesn't mean God is honored. There's a type of fasting that's not pleasing to God. It's fasting that seeks the pleasures of the world, ignores the poor in the world. It leads to conflict with others. It exalts ourselves above God. Fasting is for humility, not pride. And false fasting like this is ultimately abhorrent to God. Listen to God's words in Isaiah 1. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. True fasting, on the other hand, described in Isaiah 58, God says true fasting seeks purity in the world, cares for the poor in the world. True fasting leads to compassion for others, exalts God above ourselves, and true fasting is ultimately pleasing to God. So God, even as we learn about fasting and prayer tonight, please Keep us from doing these activities in a way that is actually abhorrent to you. God, we want to fast and pray in a way that is pleasing and honoring to you. Good for others and good for us. Teach us to fast. Truly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Leads into one of my favorite passages in Isaiah 62. Give God no rest. Jump down a little more than halfway through the passage. You read, on your walls of Jerusalem, I've set watchmen all the day and all the night that they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Did you hear that phrase? Take no rest and give God no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. Don't give God any rest from your praying, your pleading. So see the attitude of our hearts in this text. The whole context is God asking God to restore his people in Jerusalem. We want God's glory to be restored among his people. And the indictment here is that the watchmen, the people who should have been warning God's people, calling out for God's restoration, were blind and silent, not crying out to God. So may that not be said of us, that we were quiet, silent, asleep, and we should be crying out, to God and others, longing for God's glory to be restored among his people. And not just among his people, in line with what we've already seen in Isaiah, we want God's praise to resound among all peoples. We want all the nations to see God's glory. Ultimately, we want God himself to return for his people. So what does this mean? Action, application in our lives today? Let's give God no rest from our praising him. God, we will exalt your name. Rise in the morning all day long. We praise God's name. We give God no rest from our confessing our sin. God, we want to reflect your holiness. We give God no rest from our asking, pleading for his grace and mercy. God, we will bombard your throne for needs in our lives, others' lives, for your church, for the nations. And God, we will give you no rest from our working. We will accomplish your mission. May it not be said that we were silent when we should have been crying out to God. Uh, give God no rest. That's appropriate for 10.56 p.m. Uh, or wherever, what time it is, or you are in the world. So uh, let's stay awake. That's the word. It's, uh, number 68, Jeremiah, prayer in the new covenant. So Jeremiah prophesies clearly about the new covenant coming to come in Christ, which has huge implications for how we understand prayer. The problem in the old covenant is clear. The people of God were idolatrous. They were immoral, incapable of anything different. They couldn't change their ways. All their external efforts at reform were simply showing they needed to change deep inside them. So what we find in Jeremiah is the promise of a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, a massively important bio- passage in the Bible, Humass. I would say. See the comparison? Really the contrast here, the law of God in the old covenant was written on stone tablets, but the law of God in the new covenant will be written on human hearts, which is critical because our worst enemy is fleshly religion, trying to reform ourselves from the outside in. 
Our greatest need is spiritual regeneration. God reforming us from the inside out. That changes everything. Because when that happens, we see obedience to the law is not a condition for entering the new covenant. Obedience to the law is a promise we experience in the new covenant. We are able to obey because God's transformed us from the inside out. Keep going here. The knowledge of God in the old covenant, we relate to God through flawed men, priests, which means limited admission to the presence of God and a distant encounter of the glory of God. In the new covenant, we're reconciled to God through a flawless man, Jesus. And through him, we have unlimited access to the presence of God and a direct experience of the glory of God, all of us. So the grace of God in the old covenant, which was absolutely evident. It's not that there was no grace. God's grace was evident in persistent sacrifice through which God patiently passes over sin. But in the new covenant, God's grace is evident in a perfect sacrifice through which God permanently removes our sin through Jesus. Our perfect sacrifice, God forgives our sin and God forgets our sin. In the words of Hebrews 10, I'll remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. All that leads to prayer transformed. As recipients of the new covenant, we pray with a new heart that desires God. We pray not because we have to, but because we want to. We pray with direct and unlimited access to God through Jesus, our great high priest. And we pray with humble confidence in the grace of God. Jeremiah 31, 38, and 39 is God's promise to rebuild Jerusalem after the exile, a promise that was eventually fulfilled in Ezra and Nehemiah and will ultimately be fulfilled in a new Jerusalem to come in heaven. So God, we praise you for the new covenant. We praise you for regenerating our hearts. Yet even now, I'm guessing there's some of us for whom this has not happened. There's some who need a new heart even now. And I pray that you would give it to them You'd cause faith to rise in them. For far too long, some of us have settled for a Christianity that consists of following rules, even accepting Jesus, quote unquote, because we want to save our skin in eternity. But truth be told, we have little to no desire to follow you. God, we see that is not Christianity. It's not the gospel. The gospel creates in us a new heart, transforms us from the inside out. So God, give us new hearts that desire you, that want to pray because we want to know you. Free us from our tendencies to settle for old covenant realities when you've made new covenant realization possible for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah leads to Lamentations, crying out for our relief. Lamentations written as a series of laments when God's people were in exile. When Jerusalem had been destroyed, God's people had been scattered. They were suffering. Some left in Jerusalem basically to starve. So we read, arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your, lift your hands then for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the end of every street. And we see yet again profound questions in prayer. Lamentations 5, are we forsaken? Can we be forgiven? And these questions in prayer lead to profound rest in God. Listen to Lamentations 3. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers that it is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Ah, prayer opens for us fresh floodgates of mercy from God. Prayer reminds us of unceasing faithfulness in God, and prayer instills in us the hope we have in the provision of God. God, we praise you for your love amidst our laments. Then in Ezekiel, we see prayers crying out for God's glory, the glory of God revealed in chapter one of this book. It's a pretty challenging chapter to understand because of all the imagery in it, but Ezekiel from the start shows us that God is omnipresent, omniscient, 
omnipotent, faithful, merciful, and God is personal. Ezekiel says this vision of God's glory, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the lightness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Then the book goes on to depict how the glory of God was removed from among the people because of their sin. It's a powerful picture of the glory of God leaving the temple because the people pursued false gods instead of the one true God. Which didn't mean that God was not now present, We just saw that God is omnipresent. Maybe the best way to describe this is they exchange the protecting presence of God for the punishing presence of God. Yet by God's grace, this book then depicts the glory of God restored among his people. We see promises that then inform our understanding of prayer, promises of how God will forgive his people of their sin, which means we pray with rest in God's grace. Promises that God will fill his people with his spirit, which means we pray according to the leadership of God's spirit. Promises that God will glorify his name through their salvation, which means we pray for the glory of God's name. That passage from Ezekiel 36, 22 and 23 in the study guide makes clear God will do all that he does to save his people ultimately for his glory among the nations. So God, teach us to pray with rest in your grace according to the leadership of your spirit for the glory of your name among the nations. In Daniel, we see that prayer is more important than life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow at the feet of King Nebuchadnezzar. Then in Daniel's life, He refuses to bow at the feet of King Darius. Shows us a death-defying commitment to pray consistently, even when a decree has been made not to pray to God. Daniel got down on his knees three times a day, prayed, gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. We pray with courage. Daniel did so knowing he would be cast in the den of lions, which God delivered him from. Daniel goes on to model how we pray contritely, This passage from Daniel 9 is less well-known than the others, but it's so powerful. Daniel, the stalwart of faith who has risked his life in prayer, To God, if anybody was pure and holy, it was Daniel, but here he is, he's fasting with sackcloth and ashes, pleading and praying to God, confessing sin. We pray contritely and we pray with confidence. You read this passage in Daniel 10, you see how Daniel was praying and spiritual warfare was happening in the unseen world around him. Here again, we're reminded we're in a battle and God will win the war. So God, teach us to pray consistently with courage, humbly, contritely, with confidence. God, help us to see that prayer is more important than life. If your life was threatened tomorrow, would you still get down on your knees, open the window, and pray? We get to Joel, where we learn about fasting and repentance. The message of the book of Joel is the day of the Lord is coming. Joel says, consecrate a fast, call a a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land of the house of the Lord your God, cry out to the Lord, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and his destruction from the Almighty it comes. So the day of the Lord was a reference to a day of destruction for the resistant, the unrepentant, be a day of judgment for God's people, for all peoples. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. So see it, the day of the Lord was also a day of salvation for the repentant. So the day of the Lord's coming, so Joel says the day of fasting is now. Yet now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Notice that emphasis on rending your hearts. So we realize that fasting is an external expression of an internal reality. Fasting is a physical expression of a spiritual reality. And here in Joel, the picture is clear. In fasting, we repent in our hearts which means confession, we agree with God about our sin, contrition, we are broken before God over our sin, we weep over sin, and conversion in this sense, turning to God from our sins. And through fasting, God relents. He rescues us, he restores us, and he resides with us. God says, you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no one else. I'm in your midst, Joel 2.27. And in this book, we see promises that God will eventually come to us in his son, Joel 2.28 and 29, is a passage in Joel that 
Peter references in the first Christian sermon in Acts, God will come to us in his son, God will live in us through his spirit, and ultimately God will protect us in his stronghold. So don't miss this, fasting, external expression, internal reality, a physical expression of a spiritual reality, specifically here in Joel, as a picture of confession and contrition over sin, turning from sin, crying out for God's grace. Hold on to that. That leads to Amos and Jonah, our relenting God, parts one and two. In Amos seven, we learn that as we pray, as we cry out in repentance, God relents with compassionate patience. Then we read after this. So as we pray, cry out to God in repentance, he relents with compassionate patience, but God brings final judgment to all who fail to repent. So God make us a repentant people. That leads right into Jonah, our relenting God, part two. City of Nineveh deserved God's judgment. Yeah, when Jonah went and preached there, we talked about this earlier, the city of Nineveh called out for God's mercy. They fasted over their sin, they turned from their sin, and God relented from showing them judgment and showered them with his mercy. True fasting and repentance lead to God relenting his wrath and showing his mercy. Three more pictures of prayer in the prophets. One, Habakkuk questioning God in prayer. So Habakkuk is a Job-like book. As Habakkuk looks around, see God's people suffering, other nations, evil nations prospering. So amidst our many questions in prayer, we wonder, and we see this in Habakkuk, does God hear? Does God care? Is God good? Is God holy? Where is God's power? Where is God's word? Will God show that he is just? Is God worthy of my trust? Habakkuk, in conversation with God, asks all these questions. And as he does, amidst our having the same questions, prayer teaches us to listen to the truth of God, to lean on the timing of God. In Habakkuk 2, there in your study guide, God says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time and hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Prayer teaches us ultimately to look forward to the triumph of God. He will show his glory. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2.14. And we will stand in awe. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And prayer amidst our questions, as we ask him, prayer teaches us to live with trust in God. We see all over Habakkuk reasons to trust in God. God is our savior. Paul quotes from Habakkuk in Romans 1, talking about how we live by faith. God is all sovereign. God is our protector. God is our deliverer. God is our satisfaction. Hebrews, or Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 is a powerful passage. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the yield, fields yield no flood. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, everything is going wrong, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. So amidst our many questions, we can trust in God. He is our strength, and God is our victory which is why Horatio Spafford, amidst total tragedy in his life and family, could write the great hymn that ends with those great words, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trumps shall resound, the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. Our God, in prayer, amidst all our questions, please help us to listen to your truth, to lean on your timing, to look forward to your triumph, and in this, to live with trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Two more pictures in the prophets. Zechariah, where we learn that fasting is feasting. So much like in Joel, we see a call in Zechariah to repent of sin. Thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me and I will return to you. Repent of sin and renew your strength. This is where I want to show you a different side of fasting than what we've seen. So Zechariah calls God's people to fast and feast with joy on his grace. Listen to Zechariah 8, 18 and 19. The word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. The fast is a feast. 
in which we pray and live with zeal for God's glory, again among the nations, listen to this passage, Verse 20 in Zechariah 8, thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord, to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many people, strong nations, shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from the nations of every tongue shall hold, take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Oh, hear this message from Zechariah. We fast and feast with joy, on God's grace, and we pray and live with zeal for God's glory among the nations. And then Malachi, prayer that pleases God. Here in the beginning of Malachi, we actually have a picture of the priests among God's people who were praying in a way that did not please God. And when you study this passage, you learn that prayer that pleases God reveres his greatness. Prayer reveres his greatness as the author of our lives, the lover of our souls, the Lord of all creation, and the King of all glory. Prayer that pleases God reflects God's holiness, which was not happening among the priests. They had traded in the word of God for the wisdom of the world. They had traded in the purity of God for the pleasures of the world. They had traded in the acceptance of God for the applause of the world. All temptations for any leader in the church today, including myself. And God was not pleased. And ultimately, prayer that pleases God remembers his purpose. So much here. The overall picture is God promising to bless his people as his treasured possession for his glory among all the peoples. And prayer that pleases God aligns with that purpose. So God, teach us to pray in a way that pleases you, in a way that accomplishes your purposes. And in this, we trust that prayer will be really good for us and really glorifying to you. In Jesus' name. Oh, we have so much to learn about prayer, conversation with God, fasting, the pursuit of God in the Old Testament. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.